This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. of integration and guidance this morning come from Howard Thurman, who was a spiritual mentor to Martin Luther King Jr., and this is from his book, Jesus and the Disinherited. Many and varied are the interpretations dealing with the teachings and the life of Jesus of Nazareth, but few of these interpretations deal with what the teachings and the life of Jesus have to say to those who stand at a moment in human history with their backs against the wall. To those who need profound succor and strength to enable them to live in the present moment with dignity and creativity, Christianity often has been sterile and of little avail. The conventional Christian word is muffled, confused, and vague. Too often, the price exacted by society for security and respectability is that the Christian movement in its formal expression must be on the side of the strong against the weak. This is a matter of tremendous significance, for it reveals to what extent a religion that was born of a people acquainted with persecution and suffering has become the cornerstone of a civilization and of nations whose very position in modern life has too often been secured by a ruthless use of power applied to weak and defenseless peoples. A reading of scripture from Psalm 40 is rendered by Nan Merrill. I waited patiently for the beloved who came to me and heard my cry. Love raised me from the pits of despair out of confusion and fear and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. There is a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to the beloved. Many will see and rejoice and put their trust in love. Blessed are those who make love their home, who do not turn to the proud, to those who follow false idols. You have increased O beloved, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us, none can compare with you. Were we to proclaim and tell of your saving grace, it could not be measured. Sacrifice and offering are not your desire for us, for you have opened our heart's ear. Burnt offerings are not required. Let us cry out, yes, I come. In the book it is written of me, I delight to abandon myself into your hands, O my beloved, for you are the heart of my heart. I tell the glad news of love's way to all who will listen. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to John. The next day... John saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. 
And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Martin Luther King Jr. once said that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. It's actually his birthday today. It'll be celebrated tomorrow nationally, but today is his birthday, and he would have turned 88, I think 88 years old today, um, if he had not been assassinated on April 4th, 1968. He was just 39 years old, and I just turned 30, so it's suddenly dawning on me how young that is. 39. He left behind four young children, and um, he was the husband to fellow activist uh, Coretta Scott King. His death was unjust. About six years later, Dr. King's mother was shot and killed uh, while she was playing organ at church. She was 70. This is unjust. That quote from Dr. King that the arc of the moral universe is long but bends toward justice has taken on some life that I don't think he would approve of. It has come to mean that if we just wait, if we are just patient enough, if we just stay the course, justice will work itself out. If we just sit back and watch, we will see power and wealth and privilege ultimately bend to serve the cause of justice someday. There's something automatic about this idea of justice, something easy about it. But King was not naive. He knew justice was not easy or automatic. He was beaten and jailed, and his own family, his young family, was threatened constantly. He watched friends and fellow activists beaten, jailed, and murdered. He was not blind to the fact that in the world, the arc of the moral universe works really hard to bend away from justice. U.S. junior Senator Cory Booker recently issued some commentary on this quote of Dr. King's. He said, the arc of the moral universe does not naturally curve toward justice. We must bend it. I think Dr. King would agree. This, there is hope and there is justice, but we must work for it. We live in a really weird realm of hope, 
Um, it's believing that God's purpose of justice and truth will win. We kind of have this refrain of love will win. Um, and yet most of us are not content to sit back and wait and watch for it to someday happen. Why is that? It's the same reason that uh, Martin Luther King can believe that the arc of the moral universe is bent toward justice, but also believes that we must act. Given the choice to work or to wait, Dr. King chose to work. Why? In the verses leading up to our gospel reading this morning, something we didn't, we didn't read, um, we learned that John the Baptist wasn't just hiding in the bushes waiting for Jesus, although I feel like hiding in the bushes or living in the bushes was something John the Baptist might have done. Um, I really love John the Baptist. He's awesome. Uh, but he was out there doing the work. He wasn't just sitting back and waiting and just kind of like peeking around like, oh, maybe Jesus is coming today, maybe today. He was out there doing the work, and John admits that he knows that someone is coming at some point to baptize with something even better than water. Jesus was coming to baptize with the Holy Spirit, but John is baptizing with water anyway. John knew what the prophets had to say. He wasn't ignorant of the faith. He knew that Jesus was coming. He knew God's promises and that love would win someday. So if he knew Jesus was coming eventually with something even better than water, why would John baptize, continue to baptize with water? Why wouldn't he just wait for Jesus to come with the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Given the choice to work or to wait, John chose to work. Why? In our gospel reading this morning, I think we're given a little bit of a clue. Verse 29 says, John saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. The more you say it, the more perplexing it becomes. Here, John is explaining that Jesus is greater than himself. He's making the claim that Jesus is greater than John because even though he's coming after John, Jesus was there before John. Uh, He's basically just making sure that we know who the Messiah is. It's not John, it's Jesus. So he's telling us about Jesus, but he's also telling us something about how time works, which is why that sentence is so confusing. And this is really important to understanding why believing there is something good in the future is not a reason to sit back and wait for the future to happen. To John, there is something very present about the past. The gospel that we're reading from, the gospel of John, begins. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word. John knew that the God who was in the beginning is also the one who is coming. Kind of, just don't think too hard about it. Your brain will melt. I I spent a lot of time on this this week, and I just, oh, it was confusing. But John knew that the God who was in the beginning is also the God who's coming. He was and he is. John knew that God actually isn't a was at all. God is an is. God isn't a was. God is an is. In the same way, God is not 
a was. God is also not a going to be. God is not a going to be. God is an is. It seems like with this kind of theology, this kind of understanding of God, the past is not very far from the present. And neither is the future. If the past and the future are never far from the present, if the past and the future are never far from the present, then the work of God that we consider to be in the past and the work of God that we consider to be for the future is not far away. This means that John wasn't working to bide his time until something happened in the future. John was working because he knew that what he was doing right then was revealing the God who was and is and is to come right there in that very moment. I came baptizing with water for this reason, said John, that God might be revealed. John chose to work, and that work revealed that the past work of God and the future work of God was actually right then and there in the present. His work revealed Jesus. God's love and justice isn't a future. It is a now. John didn't wait for a future hope. What John did was peel back the present moment to reveal God. Dr. King didn't wait either. He didn't wait for justice to work itself out because the opportunity to bend that moral arc toward justice was always and is always available. Every moment that there is love and justice is a moment of fulfillment. Future hope is always at hand because God's was, God's was, and God's will be is present now. Every moment isn't a step toward justice and love. Every moment is an opportunity for justice and love. King believed that time was a neutral force, that every moment was an opportunity to make the present more or less just. He calls the idea that time will inevitably yield progress on its own a myth. I'm going to let him speak for himself. March 31st, 1968. The myth of time is the notion that only time can solve the problem of racial injustice. And there are those who often sincerely say to the Negro and his allies in the white community, why don't you slow up? Stop pushing so fast. Only time can solve the problem. And if you will just be nice and patient and continue to pray in 100 or 200 years, the problem will work itself out. There is an answer to that myth. It is that time is neutral. It can be used either constructively or destructively. And I am sorry to say this morning that I am absolutely convinced that the force of ill will in our nation, the extreme rightists of our nation, the people on the wrong side, have used time much more effectively than the forces of goodwill. And it may well be that we will have to repent in this generation, not merely for vitriolic words and violent actions of bad people, but for the appalling silence and indifference of the good people who sit around and say, wait on time. 
Somewhere we must come to see that human progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. King spoke these words in his last Sunday sermon just four days before his assassination. This weird realm of hope we live in doesn't point to the future, to the someday. We believe that somehow all of our moments and our opportunities aren't leading somewhere else. They are leading to right now. Moments of justice and love are not to be reserved for an end date. They are for now. To wait on time for permission to work for justice is to believe that justice doesn't have a place in the present. To wait on time for permission to work for justice is to believe that it's reserved for someone else, somewhere else, sometime else. But time is not our savior. And perpetually present is God's justice and love. Our work together is to peel back this present moment and reveal that justice and love are here. Our work is to reveal that those things have not been left in the past and are not to be reserved for the future. I want to make sure I'm clear about something when I say the word wait. In life, there are moments to wait. There are moments to wait patiently on God, on one another, for clarity or perspective. There are moments when it's necessary for your heart and for your physical health to physically pause, to cease your activity. We must sleep when we're tired. We must wait on rejuvenation. But this is waiting on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and that is a good thing to do. Do that. Wait that way. The kind of waiting we should not be doing is waiting for time to carry us into something better. That kind of waiting is turning your face from the present, ignoring the love and justice that is bubbling under the surface of every moment. Today, I just want to leave you with the challenge to stop asking when. When it comes to the question of when is love, when is justice, the answer will always be now. To quote the Holland UCC website, (laughs) we believe that the path of Jesus is found wherever, and I would add whenever, people love God, neighbor, and self. You pray with me. God, we submit ourselves to love, to justice, to your peace. Help us to fulfill and to fill the world with those things. Amen.
much the work of our guests today, Eric with the music and Chelsea with the preaching. That's gratitude to you both. We'd like you to stick around after the service, have some coffee and a snack, meet somebody new. You'll notice on the back some ways to connect this week. We have a couple of Pub Theology gatherings. Pub Theology Holland meets Monday at Brew Merchant, and Pub Theology Saugatuck meets Wednesday at Saugatuck Brewing Company. Those are open conversations. People of any perspective welcome to talk about issues of life and faith together. Tuesday night, uh, I forgot to put the night. Allies Working for Justice and Environmental Progress. This is a communal conversation where people in Holland are coming together and saying, how can we work together for justice here in our West Michigan region? So if that's of interest, that's at 6.30 on Tuesday night. And then Friday coffee, it's 8.30 at the Good Earth. Anyone is welcome to join that as well. And now, friends, as you go from this place, may you know that the world is too beautiful to be praised by only one voice. And so may you have the courage to sing your part. And we know that our world is too broken to be healed by only one set of hands. And so may you have the courage to use your gifts. And as you go, may the light of God shine upon you and within you and through you. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.